Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Collateral Creatives, the first official episode and launch of the show. If you don't know what this show is all about, the goal is to take media that's not necessarily Christian and see if we can find a gospel message, a aspect of God, or some other biblical truth inside of it. So I am your host, Austin Murphy, and I am here joined by my co-host, Cheyenne Wyatt. Hi. Today we're going to be talking about a really good movie, in my personal opinion, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, I've watched this movie a good five times by now. Uh, how many times have you watched it? Uh, not that many. Not that many. <laughs> uh, it should be noted, obviously, that if you are listening right now and you haven't watched Spider-Verse, this is going to be a lot of spoiler territory, but the movie released in 2018, so if you haven't watched it yet, that's really your own fault, so you might as well listen to the podcast now and not wait until later. But uh, we're just going to get started and see if we can... We're going we're gonna to identify first the movie. Then we're going to identify the people who made the movie and see how all of this was put together. We want to give appreciation to those who made this content, of course. And then we're going to go back and we're going to see if we can find a way to tie it into a message that is of a redemption story or just some aspect of the Bible. So um, with Into Into the Spider-Verse, I actually watched this movie uh, five minutes before coming up here. And I, I forgot a lot of the scenes that I really found interesting. Just to give a brief little synopsis, we follow a character named Miles Morales. And anyone who's been reading the comics for a long time knows that Miles Morales has been around for actually quite a while. And it was a really big deal, him being the one and only black Spider-Man, which was like, cool, that's really sick. Mm -hmm. A whole new audience. So... Isn't he also, like, half Puerto Rican? Yeah. That was, I don't know if that was an aspect that they added for the movie or if that's actually, like... I, I assume because his last name is Morales. Yeah. That he... Yeah, I think it's, like... I think he's been half-half. But it adds a lot to the movie, and it even adds to the soundtrack, which that's another yeah, aspect that I want to talk about Yeah, he has a lot of heritage. Yeah, there, there's fun things to play around with that, especially when it comes to trying to relate to a character or seeing... Uh, or not seeing, but bringing a character to life, giving them actual real life aspects that aren't just, I am one way or another. Mm -hmm. This character is going through a little bit of a, a crisis. He's moving schools. He's going through uh, somewhat of an awkward teen phase trying to find his identity in life. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's also having... He knows that his father loves him, but he doesn't feel like his father sees him. So he's going through all of these troubles. And then he goes to visit his uncle, who he looks up to quite a bit, despite his uncle not being the greatest of people. And while he's down there, he gets bit by a radioactive spider. What? <laughs> yes, I know. That's so weird. So the spider, uh, first of all, was the first item that got sent through the collider. Mm -hmm. um, that's why it gets all glitchy. And actually, you can see the spider getting hit in the collider at the beginning of the film during the intro credits. It's just really hard to spot because it's only a few frames. But oh. you can see it happening. 
Um, and so when he gets bitten, he gets infused with spider powers, but he also gets infused with two other really interesting abilities, invisibility and the power of electricity. These two things were dubbed just straight invisibility and then venom strike, which I thought was pretty sick. So he doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't know that he just got bit by a radioactive spider. He's just going about his day. He goes back and, and uh, wakes up and he's all of a sudden taller, he's stronger, and he can hear his own thoughts louder, bringing in comic book elements where he can now see text boxes of things that he's thinking about, <laughs> and he's starting to get a little bit more comical. Uh, that's the point where he runs into another character, Gwen Stacy, or Gwanda, as she represents herself because she apparently doesn't want Miles to know that she's Gwen Stacy, even though I don't think she has any reason to think that he knows a Gwen Stacy in his reality. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, then she's like Gwanda, and he's like Gwanda, <laughs> and she's like, "I'm South African. I'm I don't have the accent because I was raised here in the states." <laughs> Which I always found that funny, but yeah, yeah. I, I've thought about that a lot. I'm like, why is she hiding her identity when she's fairly? I'm fairly certain she doesn't even know who Miles is. Yeah, I mean, it might just be that she's developed that like paranoia of like needing to hide her identity very possible but um i mean she does have issues with like making friends and stuff so maybe that's tied into it yeah. somehow but um then when he goes back because miles decides i'm gonna go see if that spider was actually radioactive or i'm just insane so he goes back he finds the spider and then he hears noises coming down the hallway oh no oh no he somehow stumbles into the collider room because apparently the collider room is attached to the sewer system underneath the city which not suspicious at all <laughs> and so <laughs> he goes in there and spider-man is fighting green goblin and uh kingpin and uh, i think prowler too all three of them and he's just he's just wiping the floor with them because he's spider-man um he does end up losing that's a that's a big deal there but uh he spots miles they get close because he's like he was trying to save miles from falling or something and he's like you're like me and he promises miles that he's going to teach him how to be spider-man uh he doesn't fulfill that promise because kingpin offs him in the next scene uh, which was a big I remember I was in the theater watching that movie and I remember hearing five women crying and I think two men shouted in anger oh it was a big deal I remember it really well um and I remember myself I was I was I was emotional because I love Spider-Man like yeah. I, I'm not original in the and fact they just that, killed like, Spider-Man <laughs> yeah like I'm not original <laughs> in the fact that he's my favorite Marvel character so uh, a lot of people were affected by that and now it's just down to Miles who now feels very alone um, the collider did still go off though so it's unknown what the collider did and then he goes back and he eventually um, He's trying to figure out how to become Spider-Man without Spider-Man being there. He goes and visits Peter Parker's grave, and then another Peter Parker comes up behind him, <gasps> and he shocks him. <laughs> As you do. After a little bit of a comical chase scene, uh, they they end up connecting and talking about where he came from, how he got there, what they have to do now, and now this new Peter Parker has taken on the mission of shutting down the Collider and getting back to his own reality. Not for any reason of saving the world or anything but for his own personal selfish reasons because this is a peter parker from about 16 years in the future so he's older he's disgruntled it's even it's even even more important to note that when miles was 
asking the old Spider-Man, like the new Spider-Man, the one that was like the best Spider-Man. I think they call him uh, Alpha Spider-Man or something like that. When they ask him, when he asks him about Spider-Man, how to be one, he's giving him like the inspirational stuff, like you know, you gotta, you gotta take responsibility. With that power, you have a lot of responsibility, kid. All of that stuff. But mm-hmm. then Peter B. Parker is like, all right, listen. You got to make sure you're putting baby powder in the suit, especially around the joints. You don't want to chafe. <laughs> it's like he's obviously older. He's obviously been through a whole lot more and he's obviously a bit more practical. Not he's he's lost the the whole honorifics thing. <laughs> so Yeah, the idealism. Exactly. He's he's lost all that. He's more realist now. And then that's when they decide to like they they decide to go to Alchemex, the company that made the collider, and they run into the new Doc Ock, which is uh, they, I don't remember her actual name. I think it's Olivia Octavius. That sounds right. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it, it, this Octavius is a female. Woo! <laughs> and it's like, it was really cool because now we're really starting to get an idea of how wild this movie is going to be. Yeah, there, there's like so the many differences char- between the yeah, universes. the characters are moving so in so many different directions. It was like, oh, I can't figure out where I'm supposed to go with this. So they go, and um, now they're tied up with Gwen, who has revealed that she was Spider Woman in her dimension. Which, in that scene, I think her version of New York is the best. It looks so cool, <laughs> but. Um, they go to Aunt May's house. Aunt May immediately knows that he's from another dimension, uh, Peter Parker, which was really funny to me, the fact that Aunt May is also a genius in this dimension. They go down to Alpha Spider-Man's shed, which is like a massive underground bat cave sort of situation where they meet the other spider people because there's more and they all went to the same place because they all have the same comfort, I guess. So you have Penny Parker, the uh, the anime one, because <laughs> she's like this little girl that has a telekinetic connection to a spider that is inside her father's mech <laughs> that she can control. Uh, you got uh, Spider-Man Noir, who is my favorite character in the She's entire movie. so cool. I love, sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever I go, the wind follows, and the wind smells like rain. <laughs> just, it's so good. I, I love him so much. And then, of course, a lot of people, it's still back and forth on whether or not people like this character being there, but uh, Peter Porker. Yeah. Uh, I'm a personally a huge fan of him being there because I love Peter Porker. He's hilarious. I just, I love his introduction because it can get weirder. <laughs> <laughs> He's so self-aware. Yeah. And so it, this, that whole, this whole movie is self-aware from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I Especially lo- with all of the speech bubbles and everything. Yeah. And like Peter Parker, when they meet Gwen Stacy, uh, what was it? Miles went, how many spider people are there? And then... Peter goes, save her for Comic-Con. Yeah. (laughs) I I love that. Um, So they all team up to go and take on Alchemex, but Miles isn't exactly ready yet. He's Spider-Man, but he doesn't know how to control his powers. He doesn't know how to do this. He barely can swing, so he doesn't know how to be Spider-Man yet. So they're trying to run him through his paces and everything, and he breaks down. They don't manage to get him to learn, and eventually they just go, all right, we're going to go take care of this ourselves. One of us is going to stay behind, likely Peter B. Parker, because he's got nothing to go back for. He's just willing to let himself die so that the rest can live. Typical Spider-Man stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they leave Miles behind. After a little bit of a pep talk from his father... On the other side of a door, he can't talk to him or anything, so he's just letting his dad talk. 
Uh, he learns to control his electricity, and he learns to control his invis invisibility. And then we get a really, really nice sequence of him becoming Spider-Man with uh, What's Up Danger playing up in the background, and you got that sick off-the-skyscraper jump that... Like, tilts the perspective. It solidified animation for the end of that decade, I feel. Because, like, <laughs> that was a sick scene. And they, I'm guaranteeing you, they knew it because it was in the trailer and everything. Yeah. So, um, that scene was awesome. And we got a very clear cut, like, he now knows what he's doing. And then they go into a final fight scene. And it's, there's so much going on that it's easiest to summarize it as they get the collider to repair, they throw all the other spider people back into their dimensions, and now it's just Miles Morales versus Kingpin. And his father shows up, Miles' father shows up, and he has been against Spider-Man this entire time, but now that he's seeing Spider-Man actually saving the world in person, he's cheering for him. And now Miles knows that his dad doesn't know that it's him, but he still is really happy about that because, you know, this is his dad. His dad is cheering for him. So he defeats Kingpin in a really Mario 64 type beat way. <laughs> um, and the collider gets shut down and we get a really comical scene at the end where Miles hugs his dad while still in the Spider-Man costume. <laughs> so it's like, officer, I love you. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the ending insinuates that there will be a sequel, which there is going to be a sequel coming out pretty soon. There's actually going to be a trilogy. Oh, uh, I didn't um, realize that. Yeah, I think they're going to be releasing the next one next year, 2022. Hmm. Um, and we got the sequel bait coming in because uh, for some reason, no idea how it happened. But uh, one of the portals opens up, like collider portals, opens up above Miles while he's in his bed. And you can hear Gwen go and like Gwen asking if he wants to come with. No idea where that's coming from. And then the after credit scene, you got Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just all sorts of interesting yeah. things at play there. So that's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a very rough overview of the movie itself. But what's more impressive to me than the movie is how the movie was made. They had to invent a lot of techniques and technology to make that movie happen. Yeah. Now, we got a chance to look into how this movie was made on a deeper level. Uh, was there anything that stuck out to you really as something that was like, wow, I can't believe that they were able to pull that off? I think just for me, when we were watching like the behind the credits stuff, it was just how they really focused on trying to make things expressive and bring in a lot of personality because they were trying to make it like comic books. They wanted to make like a moving comic book. Right, yeah. And just how they were going for something really organic in that because mm -hmm. a lot of the time these days they when it comes to animation they're making things with computers like they're generating things with computers and they're kind of leaving behind hand-drawn things mm -hmm. and they did use computers to generate things but then they also added on layers of hand-drawn um, animation yeah and so um there was a quote in what we watched for the behind the scenes stuff where they said that they wanted to prioritize good taste over accuracy because computers are really accurate but that's not what they wanted they wanted something that would look good and have a certain feel and i think that's really just what stood out to me and you can just see it in the movie with like all of the speech bubbles and like the times where it'll kind of go to like a comic book panel 
and just like the way the colors are and how the different Spider-Mans each have their own art style. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it has a whole, the movie has a lot of personality. Yeah, it's it's incredible how much they were able to pull off, and it's even more incredible. Um, you mentioned that there were hand drawn elements to it. Um, in that video that we were watching of the behind the scenes, he not only said there were hand drawn elements, but they hand drew the entire film. Yeah, like they they would go in and they would cut in specific parts of that hand drawn animation, but the whole film was hand drawn in some way, shape, or form. Which I really want to see that cut of the film that's just hand drawn. That would be really. <laughs> I think it would be really beautiful. Release the hand drawn cut. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then whenever it comes to, let's say, uh, the people that were actually behind it, like the, the individuals that made this movie happen, there were some really, really impressive people that made this movie happen. I think probably one of the more impressive ones was actually the director himself, Peter Ramsey. Uh, he directed this film with two other people, but Peter... Mr. Ramsey, I should say. This man, he <laughs> deserves honorifics. Um, he directed a really good film. His first film, actually, his first dive as a director was Rise of the Guardians from 2015. Which I love. <laughs> and if you guys haven't seen Rise of the Guardians, definitely Please check watch it out. It. It's so good. It's 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 not something that you'll expect. You hear something like Rise of the Guardians, you're like, huh, what's that about? And then you're going to go and watch it, and you're like, wow, why haven't I watched this yet? <laughs> Which is exactly what yeah. happened to me. Well, it looks like it's just another, like, kids movie about, like, Santa Claus and stuff like that, but it's really about, like, imagination, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's so You know what's beautiful. really interesting for me to think about? Rise of the Guardians had a lot of stylistic stuff to it, too. Yeah. Like, even though it was 3D animated, there was a lot of aspects to it that they tried to make it as artistic as possible. And oh, I, definitely. Yeah. You can... You can tell that they're siblings. Yeah, definitely directed by the same guy. Mm -hmm. And that's and with you talking about how everything's computer generated these days, think about like Illuminate, um, like Illumination, that animation company. They made good movies. I'm gonna say past tense. They made good movies because you know they started with Despicable Me. Yeah. And like that was a really good movie. I think that was really good. But then they just pumped out year after year after year. An of army the same, of minions. Like the same movie over and over and over <laughs> again. It's it's like Sing 2 animation. It looked a little better, but it was mostly just high quality textures. There wasn't anything that was like, oh, this movie's going to stand out in my brain. It's nothing that's like, I'm going to be walking around and all of a sudden everything's going to be flashing in, the, in a comic sort of way in yeah. my brain. Into the Spider-Verse established a style that I don't think is going to be forgotten for a long time, especially if they release that sequel. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And if they maintain that quality, too. Yeah, and and they should. They really need to. I really to. hope they do. If they don't, it's going to just be it's another just Matrix. Be heartbreaking. Like, it's going to be another Matrix. Matrix 1 was amazing for what it was, but then they never improved. <laughs> it was just, it was not a good, uh, a good turnout. I know that a lot of people are going to agree with me that the, the trilogy isn't great. Um, the, the only good movie is the first one and then there's the weirdos that say all three of them are good um, and then there's everyone which is skeptical about the new reboot that's happening soon uh -huh. <laughs> so um, back on with creators and such people yes. that were behind it uh, the writer like the the guy who created the story because there were there were three writers but there was one story creator like he's the one that wrote the story originally phil lord an amazing name in my opinion uh i would love to have a name like that uh he also wrote the lego movie and clone high which 
that sort of really intelligent comedy applied very well to Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, especially with a character like Spider-Man, who's known for his comedy. Exactly. So you've got very similar elements happening, because you got Lego Movie with uh, very violent actions that are downplayed, that look almost weak. It goes against what you're expecting, and that's like that's how you do comedy. Your brain is expecting one thing, something else happens. That's hilarious because it doesn't understand how to take that. <laughs> so you've got Lego Movie with like all these violent things happening to characters, but they're Lego, so it doesn't matter. And now you've got comic book characters that are going through violent things, but that doesn't matter to them because they're comic book characters. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, I think one of the most impressive parts of this entire film, the soundtrack. Uh, was done by a guy named Daniel Pemberton. I'm a huge fan of Pemberton's work. I love his soundtracks. Uh, Funny enough, though, his origins go all the way back to, like, Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. And uh, he did some other things for History Channel and their shows. I think he actually did the History Channel theme at one point. Huh, Um, that's cool. But Pemberton, when he was talking about the soundtrack for Into the Spider-Verse, he was excited about it because this was the opportunity that he had had to apply a special trick that he'd been wanting to figure out how to apply to an orchestral suite for a long time. And that's the record scratching. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you watch the movie or listen to the soundtrack, all of the official tracks usually have some form of record scratching going on. Which, how are you going to apply that to an or- orchestral sort of thing? Of course, where you apply it is where you start adding in hip-hop and trap elements from Miles' little culture that he's got going on in his local neighborhood. They're all hip-hop and street kids. So they're like really, like, you can see a comparison going on where he goes from his hometown to the new school. Like, there's all these really stuck-up rich kids in the new school. But as an old school, everybody is all like, they're putting stickers places that they shouldn't be. They're playing basketball. They got speakers blaring yeah. trap music. So it's like, you have to apply that because that's what, that's what you're trying to say. You're saying he's the new Spider-Man. So you're taking Spider-Man's original thing where it was all orchestral and epic and then applying Miles's culture to it. So now you've got trap elements, you've got hip-hop beats, you've got famous rappers making soundtracks for the, for the movie. Perfect idea, in my opinion. And Pemberton did a fantastic job of putting all that yeah. together. And he came up with that idea like 20 years ago yeah. where he like really <laughs> wanted to do that. And he's like, this would be so cool if I was able to do this for like an animated film. Mm-hmm. And he just never had the opportunity until Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse came along. Yeah, and this is actually his first animated film. Yeah. He's never done one before, which I was honestly kind of shocked about because, like, whether you're, when you're a guy like Pemberton, how do you not, like, hire him all the time? I, I assume he's busy, probably. probably. But... <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, now that we've gone over like what the movie is, what it's about, uh, what we've got with people going in on it and making it what it is, the next important thing we want to talk about here is the meaning of the movie, because there's a lot of meanings that a lot of people took away from. And there's, admittedly, there are a lot of things you could pull from this movie. There's things of sacrifice, there's things of living through tragedy. There's things of identity, there's things of uh, trying to fit in to an environment that you're not used to, and even so far as trying to feel accepted in like even a family setting. So 
Um, one of the one of the things that I want to talk about real quick with that family thing. I was watching the movie again, like I said before I got here, and I noticed something kind of interesting is that when he leaves his home to go and like say goodbye to all of his friends that are at that other high school, the song Familia is playing, and it's a it's a really good song. I love that song from the soundtrack, but it's basically just like even the lyrics apply to the scene. Um, the lyrics are talking about how Miles is losing control of his life and he wants that control and he's even asking God to bless his soul <laughs> and um, Miles while the song Familia is playing he's talking to his family like his father and his mother they're his real family like his biological family but he doesn't feel like they're his family the people around him are his family his friends the people that he hangs out with all the time that's just that's one major meaning that I took away from but there's always deeper stuff with Spider-Man films yeah <laughs> so um, what, what were I know that you had uh, one major takeaway that you had identified before we got here. Yeah. So for me, one of the things that as I was just kind of reflecting on the movie, um, you kind of brought it up a little bit was just how he overcomes adversity so much and like the perseverance aspect of things. Right. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that Spider-Man is really known for. There was this quote that I kind of heard secondhand once, so I don't know if it's really a thing that Stanley said, but he said that if he could give a character any more like struggles or issues to go through, it would be Spider-Man. And that's really interesting. Because like Spider-Man has already gone he through already so much. He has so many like, problems he's that he's dealing with. He's lost his family. He's lost his girlfriend multiple times. He's almost died. I know. Like, <laughs> Don't give Spider-Man any more problems. But I think if that quote is accurate, um, I tried to find it. And if that quote is accurate and is something that Stanley said, it's interesting because if you think about it, Spider-Man handles things in a really unique way compared to a lot of other superheroes. Yeah. Just in that he does deal with stuff with humor a lot and he approaches things with a lot of hope. And I think that was kind of showcased in this movie a lot. Not saying that other superheroes don't have hope, but cause like, you know, Superman, like the symbol on his chest means hope. <laughs> so like, that's not what I'm saying, but the mental perspective that Spider-Man approaches things is just unique in some regard. And you see that like with all these different iterations of Spider-Man that they all, even though they're like slightly different from each other, that's consistent and that's really fascinating. And it's interesting because just like drawing a comparison with like how Christians should deal with things, we're called to be hopeful through mm -hmm. adversity. And I found that really kind of cool. Yeah, because like if you're thinking about it from the Spider-Man perspective, an overall theme that's not just applied to this movie, but just Spider-Man in general, his whole MO is he's gone through horrible things, so he remains Spider-Man to prevent worse things from happening. So with all of that in mind, though, when we were talking about the meaning of this movie, we knew that first and foremost, it had a lot to do with identity. Because you've got Miles Morales trying to find his identity in this new life that he has. 
He then has to find his identity as Spider-Man because the original Spider-Man is dead. <laughs> and now he has to figure out how do you become Spider-Man when you got no one to show you the ropes? Yeah. So with all of that, he has to deal with this thing of, oh, I'm Spider-Man now. I'm not just Miles Morales. Yeah. I'm Spider-Man. But I don't know who Miles Morales is. <laughs> so yeah. um, going through those identity crisis and then eventually once he finally does become Spider-Man, he's still wrestling with the fact that he's new and he doesn't know what he has to do yet. He doesn't know who he's fighting. Yeah. Uh, all he knows is he's doing this for his, for his father. That's the only reason why he's doing it. Well, and his dad doesn't even like Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. At least at first. Not, not at first. So, like, it, he's going through a whole lot of identity things. And then the the second half of that is the leap of faith. Um, they talk about faith a lot in this movie. Like, it's especially prevalent at the end. Um, I think probably my favorite scene at, at the climax of the movie is where... Miles is finally he's finally figured himself out. He finally knows how to be a, how to be a spider person. Um, and he trips up Peter B. Parker in the same way that Peter B. Parker tripped him up earlier and he's holding him by the collar of his little suit. And Peter B. Parker is like, how do I know that I won't mess it up again? Because he really screwed up his life in his universe. And Miles is like, you won't. And he goes, right. Leap of faith. <laughs> and then he just lets him go and goes off into his own universe. Um, so there's a lot of stuff of relying on faith yeah. that like you have to just make a call and you have to follow whatever it is that you feel like you need to be following because if you're not moving you're not going anywhere so there's many ways that we can tie these themes into some form of christian aspect which we are now on to the most entertaining part of the show in my perspective <laughs> hopefully it's entertaining i think it's super entertaining and i think they think that too because uh, they're going to come back for the next episode. Yeah, totally. Yeah, of course. We're going to go into how we can compare the meanings of this movie with the meaning that we are trying to convey with how we can apply it to Christianity or how we are as Christians. Mm -hmm. And this one is a big one because identity in Christ is a thing literally all of us deal with. <laughs> and I know you uh, you were much more prepared than I was on this topic. You even found a couple passages that we could probably look towards. So uh, feel free to just toss it out. What do you, what yeah. you got? Well, first off, with the leap of faith, Yeah. with that, I think there's more nuance than just saying like, oh, like, how do I know I'm Spider-Man? Or if we're drawing a parallel, like, how do I know I'm a Christian? Like, mm -hmm. just take a leap of faith. Yeah. There's more to it because um, you said before, like, he took a lot of different actions before getting to that point where, like, he's like, I am Spider-Man and, like, t yeah. jumps off of the building, like, literally <laughs> leaping in faith. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of ways that, like, people can identify, like, oh, yeah, I am a Christian. Like, I am saved in their life. Like, you should see like transformation in your life like through your actions and it's not like yes we should have faith like faith is good mm -hmm. but there's also like reason and logic that plays into that and your own personal life experiences that are going to add on to that so faith on its own and just be like blind faith I think is a thing that like people have issues with sometimes mm -hmm. and I think kind of the difference is 
with the movie and like how Christianity works is that when they're talking about faith in the movie, it's usually like faith in themselves. Yeah. Like, okay, I can have faith that I'm going to be the best Spider-Man ever. Right. Um, compared to the rest of the Spider-Man or Spider-Woman or Spider-Pig. Spider-People? <laughs> yes. That's the word I was looking for. But when it comes to Christianity, our faith is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's in something outside of ourselves. And that's the key difference is that we shouldn't have faith in ourselves. And so we need to have faith in someone else. Um, yeah. Faith in God. So a lot of the statements that they make about faith and like taking a leap of faith, like that's taking a leap of faith in yourself is different than like having a grounded reason of like, okay, I need to trust the faith that I have in Jesus mm -hmm. because if you have faith in yourself, you're going to let yourself down. Um, yeah, all the time. All the time. Um, and I think that's really where identity in Christ comes into play is like, you know, as a human, like I am sinful and like I'm going to make mistakes, but Christ is there to like make up for those mistakes. That's how faith plays into it. And so there's nuance with that. And so like while there are some good like statements about faith in the movie, mm -hmm. we you kind of have to like view it with a little bit of a like grain of salt. Yeah. I think the the best way we can apply this is like a metaphor sort of thing. Yeah. Um the best thing that I I thought about it as I was coming up here, I was I was thinking about like okay, so now that I've watched the movie for the fifth time, uh what what aspect of it clearly displays something about the Christian life the most because there's a lot of things going on with how someone interacts with themselves with others and all of that and I think the most important one isn't to say that the leap of faith is what the Christians do all the time it's not about taking a leap of faith I think that the way that it would work is a new Christian perspective not literally a new perspective but a new Christian like mm -hmm. someone recently re reborn what you could apply that as is Peter B. Parker representing that of a person that is friends with this person that may become a new Christian at some point so you have a Christian friend and they're talking with you and they're spending time with you they're not constantly saying you're going to hell that side of that type of thing and they're working with you and you're starting to get it, but you're just, you're really not getting it. And the only time that you finally figured it out is when you spend some time on your own, trying to figure himself out for just a little bit. He spends a little time trying to understand himself. And when he does that, he gets to the top of that building and then he jumps. Mm -hmm. And I think that quote unquote leap of faith would be the leap into the idea of Christianity. You expect accept Jesus into your heart. Because if any Christian would tell you, if you're involved in this life enough, it gets crazy and it gets dangerous in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to get more so. And so when Miles jumps off that building and he's like, all right, I've devoted myself to this lifestyle now. That's pretty much what's happening with the new Christians. The experience is the same. New Christians will always feel as though that they just entered into a whole new world. Yeah. And that's exactly what Miles experiences. He's all of a sudden Spider-Man in one night. <laughs> yeah. And I think you also touched on something important where like he took a step back and 
got himself together mm-hmm. before he went out to try and help others. Yeah. Because I think the impulse sometimes as Christians is to like help other people when we don't have ourselves figured out. Like it's really hard to figure yourself out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna figure yourself out completely. Like only God knows you to the full depths. But if you're struggling with something and it has to do with your beliefs, you need to figure that out before you can try to help someone else. Right, yeah. Um, it's kind of like airplane logic is how I always think of it, where like with those oxygen masks mm. um, that come down, where they're like, okay, if you know we need to use oxygen masks, hopefully we won't, um, <laughs> you need to put your mask on before you assist anyone else that you're sitting with. Mm-hmm. And it works like that like with your beliefs and with your faith like you need to figure yourself out before you can help anyone else get that oxygen mask on exactly yeah so in that regard spider-verse clearly has like a lot to say about all of these different meanings that we could apply but i think that that's definitely the strongest of them all is this idea of taking care of yourself figuring you out first mm-hmm. your identity yeah and like even even then miles can't rely on peter b parker like he can't yeah. like it's not the goal of the christian to convert someone like it's the goal to tell them about christ but we can't convert anyone we can't make anybody christian we can't say you're saved that is the holy spirit our goal as anyone would say with this buzzword is plant the seed <laughs> And so when we do that, when we tell other people about Christ and they want to look into how to be a Christian, that's going to be up to them. That's going to have to be God leading them and them listening to God. And then once they make that decision, that that right there is the leap of faith, I think. Yeah, I Mm. think that's a good parallel to draw. Cool. Well. I believe that we've reached the end of our time, unfortunately. This conversation could go on for the next hour, I feel, because this is the kind of thing that Cheyenne and I talk about all the time, which is why we made it into a show. Uh, Just to recap, we went over all of the movie, we went over the people behind it, we went over how the movie was made, and then we went and discussed how we can take that movie and apply it into a Christian perspective. And I think that this is something that... This show is something that's really important. It carries a lot of lessons that no matter what, you can find God in anything that you find around you. And that's important. There's always a light in the darkness. And I think that's something that we need to make sure we're carrying with us at all times. Thank you very much for listening to Collateral Creatives. Again, I am Austin Murphy, and this is Cheyenne Wyatt. And we will see you next week on the next episode. We'll be talking about Collateral Beauty. So stay tuned for that. 